Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in Welcome up, Ace Tyson Giants. I'm Tom Howell. He's Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up four and a quarter. NASDAQ Futures up 12 as we continue to creep up into the end of the year. Um, we got to go ahead from the Fed. We had people came out, a Fed uh, the Fed sh- guy from Chicago, and we had Sheila Bear, who's not a, a Fed person, but a former uh, FDIC chairwoman, I believe. I said, I can't believe the market is is ra- racing up like this because the Fed, you know, is not going to guarantee to give people money all the time, and you know what? <clears throat> I think they are. We have uh, Brendan. We do. Brendan, are you there, bud? Sort of can't hear him. Well, he's somewhere. He's in the ether. Hope he's not locked in the transporter, like in uh, Star Trek or something. Um, that could always be dangerous if you lose the transporter. Yeah, but you don't want to be locked in there. No, you don't. Your atoms could spread all over space, as Dr. Pulaski would say. Yeah, it's not a good idea. And bones. Yeah, he was not big on the transporter. Um, so, uh, I never thought, out of all, all the crap that could happen in the world, but I never I never thought that the, the Suez Canal would almost be getting closed by guys messing around in the Red Sea <laughs> at the same time there's not enough water in, what, Lake Panama or whatever to... to we have the Panama Canal working properly. What What is going on? <laughs> it's all climate change, Chief. It's something. It's uh... <laughs> Well, I don't think the climate change has anything to do with the uh, Red Sea. I, uh... <laughs> climate change is the all-purpose villain. By the way, did you uh, did you name this uh, this thing? What the hell's the name of the thing here? It's uh, we're going to uh, uh, help now open up the Red Sea with the Brits and a few other people. You see the name on this thing? It's, uh... Let me get, let me get it here. It's, it's beautiful. Launches Operation Prosperity Guardian to defend mm, Red Sea shipping. That's not my name. Well, you're saying you wouldn't like I that? I, w- I wouldn't have come up with that. So what would you have come up with? Um... Open the floodgates. Oh God! Um, <laughs> right, so I'm, I'm have a you know <clears throat> I'm one of these guys that thinks that generally a lot of people, uh, most people, have the same uh, things they want in life. Uh, you know I don't know if that's true necessarily, but you like to think it might be. Uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness isn't that what <clears throat> the uh, Declaration of Independence said? Yep, it is. How the hell 
does Iran get these Houthi militants? And I, you know, I shouldn't disparage anybody, but I have no idea who these people are. Not that they care whether I don't or not. How do they get those guys to run around and start messing around with big ships, not making any money off it? Doesn't appear. And uh, they they have some drones that are firing on some ships and get people running around. How do you? What do they get out of this, friend? What am I missing here? They may be getting some money to support themselves. Um, to do what? Go out and get killed? Well, to, to survive. I, mean, I, I don't know that just being a Houthi is, uh, is very profitable in and of itself. So I think there's some kind of support to them. And uh, they're, they're an angry group of people who are looking to, uh, to, to fight. Um, they don't care who they're fighting. They're just fighting. Well, I'm sure they care who they fight, but you know, if, if but these are just can, random, um, the random ships going through. They remember who they, who they are. Yeah. But what does that really matter? I mean, if if they're getting paid to to interrupt the flow of commerce, that's exactly what they're doing. Um. Yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously, that you're right. That's what's happening. But it just seems very bizarre to me. I'm just kind of curious, <clears throat> being the detail guy that I am. How that conversation even starts? Hey, you guys got a bunch of no good nicks down here to like messing with people. There's all these ships out there. How about messing with them for us? We'll pay you. I mean, it seems like an interesting. Yeah. Thing. You see, that that's one of the one of the problems that we have, both especially as an American society, when we're interacting with other people in the world, or even other people of different political persuasions or different religious backgrounds. We tend to think that they think the way we do. And so we anticipate a course of action based on, on how we think they would respond or how they should respond. And that's, you know, that doesn't happen. Let me put it a different way, an easier way. Um, think about good softball players. I mean, you're a good softball player. Maddie's a good softball player. I'm a good softball player. Um, when we're in competition, we know how to play ball. We know where the guy is going to slide, when he's going to slide, how he's going to slide to take you out at second base, or where the throw is going to be. When you go to a church league and you try to play the same way, the other guys who are there who play once a year in this church game um, don't know what you're doing. That's when you get hurt because you, you can't anticipate what the other guy is doing the way that you do when you're playing in your competitive leagues. And, you know, when we apply our way of thinking to dealing with whatever the other side is, um, we're befuddled by saying, why in the hell would they do that? Um, and because they're not thinking along the same lines. A long time ago, I heard, and, and I believe that you know, common sense comes from common experience. So what we think is common sense to a reaction, um, it could be completely foreign to somebody who has no experience in that, in that situation. I, uh, I don't really have any knowledge of a, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's a, what they call it, the dark continent, um, Africa, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Africa, and I don't, obviously it's not any place to even talk about economically, so <clears throat> I have no knowledge about the place, but how many countries over there are there with a, is any one of them got their act together? I don't think so. I was looking at the map yesterday, and there's, you know, all these countries I can't even name, does any one of them have any semblance of a, of a <clears throat> governance that they're making some progress that's somewhat democratic. I'm not saying totally. Um, I mean, these guys are... Uh, how, bad, how bad are these places? They must just be horrible. 
they must be horrible from from reports I've read. You, you places like Somalia, uh, Eritrea. I mean, a, a lot of the places, Somalia, all all the places that you hear about, they're just very dysfunctional from our perspective. There's a, there's a bunch of boring uh, factions that are are trying to gain control of of their country, and in many times there's really no government no unifying government you don't even know what the borders are for some of the countries because they keep changing depending on which well they're just lines, their lines their lines drawn on the sand for god's sake yeah and whichever faction uh, has enough arms to to control a section is what the the government is in that section well i mean it's this is uh talk about something we didn't we didn't plan on doing they have to have a naval presence there for this mm-hmm. i mean uh what do, we, what do we know about the water in the Panama Canal? I don't know about that. I I have no solution to that. Um, El Nino, they say. That's what's causing it. Same reason yeah, why that, our, that big snow melt. Have same reason why we're the the <laughs> well, same reason why we're warm here in the cold. Where are they called? The cold someplace. Mm-hmm. It's uh. Anyway, the uh, it's you know, you see all this stuff going on, and you wonder. It's it's a reason why I think that as a uh, economically and again that's the only thing I know about economically you never want to have yourself so far in bad shape to when stuff happens that you didn't anticipate get you in worse shape and that's kind of where we've been at for a long time I mean uh, from 2000 to what 2015 we pretty much had <clears throat> I won't say we had no engagements we were messing around in Afghanistan but by and large the economy was pretty much okay and uh, you know, we didn't have a whole, lot, a whole lot of stuff that was untoward, and yet every year we ran a deficit, right? For whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, uh, I remember riding one day. Well, was, there, were, there were a few blips in the economy between 2000 and 2015. Right. Well, yeah, 2007. <laughs> so, but, I mean, there, there it, were periods. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't all smooth sailing, despite the fact no, that but between, between <laughs> two th- But between 2000 and 2007, every thought mm-hmm. the, the economy was their oyster. And still, what do we run a deficit every year? And I got to believe between 2008, once it all got out and was allegedly was fixed, between 2008-2020, ran a deficit every year too, right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Because the last time we had a, a surplus was under the Clinton administration back in the 90s. Yeah, and even that was kind of a funky surplus, wasn't it? It was, but it, it you know, was arguably a surplus that yeah. uh, we could look back on and. Yeah, it's a long ways from where we are now. Well, that's truth, and uh, and we have a group, and, and you can't, you know, you can't even say, "Geez, if only the Republicans were in there," because they're fiscally, you know, sound. They're not, because the minute yeah. they get an extra dime, they they lower taxes on their buddies. Mm-hmm. So it's the same. You know, I'm not saying the taxes shouldn't be lowered. I don't want to pay anymore, but the, but the idea is that that's their whole shtick. Right. And and there's not been a corresponding lower you know spending as no. well. So when when you have less revenue and more spending, I don't think you're going to start running surpluses. Uh, no, and we're not even we're not even close. Even if you, even if you try to make it up in volume. And what are we now? We're uh, 35, 40 percent um, in last year's after COVID. We're 35 percent. Uh, um, you know the receipts versus last year we actually had a higher deficit than we did the year before. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that happen? There's no more COVID. Everybody's supposed to nope. be going back to work. I mean, what are we doing here? I I don't have an answer uh, for that. I I didn't. Uh, I I don't know the answer. How do you explain that one? 
Um, the, the only thing that I guess is better if you want to take everything together is the federal government gave so much money to states and cities, maybe the cities are a little better off, right? In states? Most are, but they're about to face a big cliff that that's coming up in the next year or two for most cities. It's uh I mean when you look at when you look at the city of Chicago budget, for example, and what I've read about the New York City budget, uh, they've used a lot of the the COVID money from the federal government to stay afloat or break even. Oh yeah. And there's gonna be a huge drop off uh, in the next year or two, uh, a fiscal cliff that that is going to have severe reckoning for the people all across the country. Um, you're saying that uh, the city of Chicago hasn't fixed their stuff? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm saying exactly that. That the city of Chicago hasn't hasn't fixed their stuff, and I think they're only making it worse by what they're doing now with the uh, the things like the sister agencies, like the uh, the board of education. That's going to be another disaster. That's going to bring another financial hit. I, uh, I was um, out with somebody on, on Saturday night. Um, close to he actually said the board of one of the somewhat famous Catholic schools here in Chicago, and uh, I think he might even be chairman. But uh, was telling me that the that the cost, the all-in cost of uh, <clears throat> a student in one of these places is about seventeen grand. How can that be so much less than Chicago public schools, which is, I guess, 28, the only mm-hmm. cost? And yet, the comparison is dramatic in terms of the quality. Now, granted, the kids are mm-hmm. different, but uh, mm-hmm. well, they're probably not different than the ones at the magnet schools. But now these guys got want to get rid of the magnet schools. Mm-hmm. So the only thing saving people in, in the city who uh, want their kids going to a decent place is are the magnet schools, right? Right, the magnet schools and the selective enrollment, like the well, one that's the Northside College Prep. Yeah, magnet, uh, magnet. Well, they've, they've got different levels. Ma- magnet is uh, a slightly lesser school than the selective enrollment. They've they've got different layers. They've got neighborhood schools, magnet schools, selective enrollment, uh, which are the cream of the crop. And and you look at those some of those schools, like Jones Northside Prep, Walter Payton, Lane Tech. Uh, um, uh, Whitney Young, Lindblom, they're not, uh, they're they're some of the top schools in the country. You know, they're routinely in the top five to ten in the state of Illinois, but they also routinely pop up in the top five to ten in the country for public high schools. And it's inconceivable to me why, when you're trying to maintain a population base, uh, a, a tax-paying population base, that you would want to get rid of something like that, which is a a, a jewel of an attraction. And it's not just for the elite money-wise who, who get their kids into those schools. It's a wide variety of kids from across the, the city of Chicago who attend those schools. And to eliminate those, um, you know, this this is one of the fears that people had of Johnson getting elected because of his connection with CTU. Because CTU has often been against charter schools and against um, uh, selective enrollment schools. Do you think he's still getting paid by them? I don't know whether he is or not. I don't think he is. I, boy, oh boy, he doesn't seem like the type that would lose that check. Well, I, I think, though, when he uh, when he moved into the mayor's office, he did stop getting any payment from the CTU, but I, I don't know that for a fact. Would it be illegal if he didn't? Because the mayor's a full-time job, right? Well, the mayor is, is supposed to be a full-time job, 
But we know from other things that are going on and have been going on at City Hall that uh, many of the aldermen have uh, have uh, side gates. Well, aldermen, know, just, that's, a, just that's, to, a, that's a part-time job, though. <laughs> but what yes, is by definition it is. it is, right? You're right. It, it is a part-time job by definition, and the mayor's office is supposed to be a full-time job. So yes, he should have been. He should have given up his uh, his salary or anything he was getting from CTU when he became mayor. Is uh, as every <clears throat> I've heard heard tell <clears throat> by some people that Illinois is somewhat. <clears throat> I'm sure they're not totally unique, but it's somewhat unique in the sense that virtually everybody's part time. Mm-hmm. You know the only uh, the only full time jobs are like your your governor, your state treasurer, your state controller, that kind of thing, and the mayor. Everybody else is all these smaller mayors, like in Orland Park. That's part time, right? All your state, oh, yeah. your state and your state senators and representatives—they're all part time. Yeah, all they all part-time. have they all have a they all have a, a regular gig that they have on the side, and you know, ostensibly they're in session only a couple of times, a, a few times a year for short periods of time. They're not in session in Springfield year round. They you know they they have designated times of the year when they're down there for a few weeks at a time. Well, your aldermen make what 150. They have a millions five expense budget. They have a pension. Yeah, and if they and if they chair committees or uh, have certain other roles, they can get a little stipend for that too. You know what I didn't realize though? If you if if the raise comes by and you say you don't want it politically one year, you never catch up. That's right. Which is weird. Yeah, yeah. If if you skip the pay raise this year and you accept the pay raise next year, then it's not. You don't double. You don't get double the pay. You just get your boost from, like, the salary that you kept instead of added to. Yeah, like I was looking at a list of how much everybody gets paid. The highest paid people are the people who just got elected. Mm-hmm. Just just about every case because somebody somewhere along the way got in front of a microphone and said they're not going to accept one of the raises. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah, but it's interesting. There, there were some. Uh, there have been some state senators and state representatives who have gone back and challenged whether they should get back pay, even though they had rejected a salary increase at some point along the line. <laughs> well, no doubt. I mean, uh, those guys, especially especially when it impacts the amount of their pension. Um, you you, you wonder how uh, this is all. I mean, my my well, what's my uh, what's my nephew's daughter to me? My <clears throat> Second niece, I don't know what, what she is. She just took a test in sixth. In, she's six years old. She took a test to get into some one of the one of the magnet schools or the charter school. Not the charter schools. Uh, what, do you, what do you what do you test people when they're six? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> of course, I was trying I to know, ask. Her, I was trying to ask her what was on a test. I didn't get too far with that. Mm-hmm. Why does everybody keep asking? I, it was on his test. It was a, it was boring. Okay, <laughs> that, was, that was as far as I got. Mm-hmm. Um, dealing with six-year-olds, as you know, is always interesting. It is. They they do have a shorter attention span than most of us do. Why does everybody keep asking me about this test? <laughs> Why do I have to take it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was uh, that was the, that was the end of that. So, uh, it's like a couple hours. A couple of hours or, for uh, the an test. Hour, they had to go down to ITT and, and take it down there. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, when, when, uh, when Audrey went to school, well, she went to Kelly High School, which was a huge place at the time. Mm-hmm. All the different stuff that you talked about was all in the same place. 
mm-hmm. there was a college prep people there was the the people doing the tech stuff you know learning how to carpentry and all that kind of stuff there were people who were just uh, uh, not on the college prep there was it was all in the same place right well what happened to all that <laughs> there were decisions made a number of years ago to create the selective enrollment, the Walter Paytons and Northside Prep. I remember when Northside Prep was first created, the 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 first principal who was involved in creating the school from scratch, including being involved in the building of Northside Prep, was a guy from the South Side, Jim Lally, who uh, was a teacher at Brother Rice and then went on to uh, St. Ignatius and some other places. Uh, but he formulated the whole program uh, for Northside Prep probably back in the late 90s or so. It wasn't the first one, and, it was Whitney uh, Young, right? Whitney Young was the first one, yeah. My niece went there. Yeah, and and, and then they, they also later on created Walter Payton and the Northside Prep. But they had some, and then you had uh, like Jones Commercial, that used to be a secretarial school. They, t- they taught primarily women, girls, how to become secretaries in a business school, and then that evolved into a selective enrollment in one of the top schools in the state and the country. Then uh, Lane Tech is well, but the pl- that place is huge. Oh, it's uh, massive. Yes. Is that the uh, CVS still open? Or, I, mean, it, I think CVS is still open. I I drive by there when I I go to and from Michigan on the Skyway, and I think it is still open as a school. Yeah. Well, you know they have to keep the legacy there for uh, for Butkus. Yeah. Well, the uh, lady who lived down the block from us. Her, her uncle was the guy who was the coach. What was his name, Riley or O'Brien? O'Brien, wasn't it? Was Butkus' coach there? Was that Bernie O'Brien? I think so. They were from the uh, East Side Irish group that moved to moved west when the neighborhood quote changed, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Because that uh, that whole area was a the rolls in that whole area was all was all Irish or a lot Irish. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, not anymore. So what? Uh, see the the Fed doing their stuff. Uh, Right, and obviously, despite people saying, God, I can't believe why the market's going up, it's very obvious why it's going up. They're going to pour more money in the system, they're going to stop fighting inflation. They're, they're telling everybody that. Even though the other guys go out and say, oh, that's not what we mean. It's exactly what they mean. I just wish I would have picked up on this like 15 years ago or something, that that's what they were doing. I never, I never thought that they would just stick with it and just, you know, push one part of society versus another. And, you know, it's funny when you talk to somebody who has, <clears throat> you know, a lot of assets, and you mention, yeah, these guys have had a... Uh, you know, a whole plan for, you know, essentially benefiting one one piece of society. To, everybody says to me, oh, well, "Why don't you get rid of that that liberal uh, background of yours?" This is that's exactly what they should be doing. Who cares about these other people? <laughs> I've heard about five people that, that own stuff. And, you know, and I, I don't have a real problem with anybody making money, Brendan. But I just mm-hmm. the, the 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 issues I have is every time that's happened, which have been twenty nine, two thousand and seven, there's been a huge problem with it. Eventually reaches a point where it falls on its own, and I don't, I don't want to see that again. And I think we're heading there. I don't know what's going to start it. Well, well I I don't think that's just a one party thing. I think that that's been the trend for several years over several administrations. Yeah, we're 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 we're, we're pumping up asset prices, and we're not and we're, we're eviscerating the middle class and anybody who's working. <coughs> it seems yep. to be a. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who's involved or who's behind the curtain that could actually pull it off for twenty-five years, but somebody has. Well, see, 
that's a conspiratorial approach where there's one person behind the curtain pulling it off. I, I think there's there's a whole bunch of factors here. It's it's not just one small class or one small one individual who's doing this. There's there's too many things that would work here to say that there's one person or, or one small group doing this. Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not alleging that there's one person. I'm just um, but you know the idea in my when I got out of the University of Chicago. We just got well when I first started in business. We went through that horrible period of all that inflation. Mm-hmm. The idea that you would have a Fed over a period of, you know, years and years, increase the money supply by eight percent year after year after year, and it wouldn't, wouldn't even you you would you would never even have thought that would have been possible. And yet, yeah, we did it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. the, and the only outcome of that is asset prices going up and, and uh, inflation being high. And mm-hmm. how do you deal, how do you deal with the inflation? You lie about it. Okay, <laughs> I mean it's, I mean it's, I don't I don't know who has. Uh, you're right. I have no idea if there's ten men behind the curtain or people just. That's just once you get going down that road, you just stay there. Maybe that's just what you do. I I think that's more likely the case that um, that that in order to try to retain power, retain your your position in office, you look for short term gains. You don't look for what's better for the country in three years, five years, ten years down the road and make hard choices because you know if you do that you're going to lose the next election and it's going to swing so dramatically in another way that, that it's going to be completely anathema to what you're trying to do. So you always take the short-term solution, what's better this week is better than what, what might have to go through some pain for next month or next year or decade from now. And I think that kind of feeds on itself, that short-term visioning is what feeds on itself more than uh, uh, um, uh, a conspiratorial approach to to where we are now. Well, there's no there's no way that you're going to have anybody in office, especially in this world, maybe partially because of you know Trump graded himself on the stock market until it went down. Um, you know that's nobody wants the market going down when they're in office. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But how far can you push it? I mean, there's stocks I was talking about yesterday. We got a dash here, but. There's retailers that are trading, you know, 50 times PE. Mm-hmm. I mean, are they doing that well, or are we going to go to 80, or are we going to go to 100? Because we got to keep going up. And what's the number? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can't be 400. I mean, maybe it is. I, yeah. Anyway, what are you doing for a? Yeah, we do have a show next Tuesday, so hopefully we'll hear, hear from you. Are you here? Are you in Michigan? What are you doing for Christmas? Well, I'm I'm going to take some time off because I'm having a pacemaker put in on Friday. Oh, really? Take a defibrillator. Yeah. So uh, I think that's going to have to uh, kind of uh, affect my appearance on the show for the next several weeks while I go through that recovery process. There's, you know, it it could be a pretty quick recovery process, but I'm going to be uh, taking a step back right. for a little bit, for at least a couple of weeks, maybe more than that, uh, all right, to we'll see talk. how this all plays out. We'll talk. Good luck. We know we'll miss you, and hopefully we'll be back sooner, Ned. Uh, Great. SP Futures up five, NASDAQ Futures up twenty. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. And jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. 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 The, if the uh, Suez Canal goes up to half capacity and the Panama Canal does as well, it's not going to be, I mean, massive issues, I guess, but it's somewhat of a big deal. My Dow futures are up uh, 66 individual stocks in the Dow. We got Microsoft up a buck. We got Boeing up 289. Uh, Amgen up 394. Uh, nothing, nobody's really down. Johnson & Johnson down 64 cents. Most people are up over in Europe. Um, we've got... The uh, DAX up 55.3%, FTSE down 9.1%, CAC around down 9.1%. So let's say they're slightly up and mixed. Renasia, and this has been the, the tough one, uh, Nikkei, however, up 460, it's 1.4%. Uh, Bank of Japan keeps their monetary policy unchanged. Final meeting of the year. I don't know where those guys are coming from with the interest rates down that low, but that's what they like to do. Hang Seng down 124.7%, 16,505. Shanghai up a whole buck. Still 29.32. Can't make a really a move against that 3,000. Uh, stays down here much longer. You're gonna wonder if they're gonna stay down here for a while. Yesterday, Dow was up 86 cents. S&P up 21. Nasdaq up 91. So positive day again. Out of bonds, down five basis points, 3.91. The bond down five basis points, 2.03. Japan minus uh, seven basis points, 0. 0.60. Oil down 21 cents, 72.26. So even though they're up somewhat on this disruption in the Suez Canal, they're not. Not going crazy here at all. Rent down 24 cents, 77.71. Natural gas down 5 cents, 2.45. Arbob down a penny, 2.14. We've got gold up a buck 30, 2,041 as it kind of settles in in this middle 2,000 range. Silver up 16 cents, 24.27. Copper up 3 cents, 3.88. We've got Bitcoin uh, up a thousand, which is kind of what they were down yesterday. Uh, back up to 42,922. And we have the U.S. dollar. Uh, down against both the euro and the and the British pound, the euro up to 109.5, and the British pound up to 127.2. We have for us traffic, weather, sports, the Bulls. Morning, everyone. 6:38 here in Chicago. 18 degrees right now. 35 today. Mostly sunny here. Phoenix, 58 degrees currently. 74 today. Mostly cloudy, but with some sun later. Traffic. We have the inbound Kennedy. It's from Montrose. Nine minutes. Edens from Lake Cook is 22. Ike from Wolf, 20. Dan Ryan, 95th to the interchange, 17 minutes. And the Stevenson from I-294 to the Ryan is 23 minutes. NBA, Bulls upset the Sixers in Philadelphia. That was 108-104. In the NFL, the Eagles lose at the Seahawks, 17-20. That's all I got, Chief. Back what do you, you uh, make it a fact the Bulls are doing great since their best players out? That's uh, something to think about later, that's for sure. Um, Mr. Allergic to Leather. It's, it's supposed Zach to be Levine. supposed to be some the other way, but Yeah. Uh. Do we have Al Joel? 
We sure do. Good oh, morning, right, Chief. Buddy. Hey, what's going on? How are you? I don't want to talk basketball. I, I certainly don't want to talk professional basketball. Uh, no. No, no. The Pistons are beyond bad. I don't even... They're going to probably set the losing streak. And the other losing streak that was 28 games spanned over two seasons. I think they have the worst in-season winning streak. They brought over Monty Williams from Phoenix. I just... I don't we'll know what to say, wins. Chief, so we'll move on from that. How you doing? What how, What about these markets, man? What about the Fed pivot? Are um, you excited about the Fed pivot? I, they got there as fast as they could, huh? They basically Can told everybody. Can you believe it? Yeah. Can you believe it? Um, I think it's been their plan for so long, Joel, they couldn't wait to get back on it. Market's and you going know what? Up. Powell was right the whole time. Inflation's transitory. He yeah. was right the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know, I, I just wonder what would happen if you went back and said, Re- refigure the CPI for the last 25 years and give me the real number, what the adjustment would be. It's uh, Market don't care, Chief. No. Have you ever seen a market like this? Have you ever seen a setup like this going into the end of the year and we haven't even gotten a, you know, into the, the actual days for the Santa Claus rally? Well, I mean, if the market has really been like this, except for 2007, and maybe the last part of 2018, it's been like this for 25 years. Draining money into the system, market's going up. I mean, you, you mean it's been right? I mean, it was like this from 2000 to 2007. It was like it from certainly 2009 to, you know, 2020, right? Hard to bet against it, Chief, right? They're just, I mean, you know, draining in and, and buying it up. Yep. Yep, and uh, uh, hard to fight, hard to fight the trend. Like people, you know, friends, relatives, you know, come on your show. People are like, you know, where, where's the top? You know, where's the turn? This is too much euphoria, and it's just like, it just doesn't pay. It just doesn't. No, pay you can't. Time. You know, it, the it, tops in the market. I think you can you can drag some puts, which we've been doing. Yeah, but uh, will cost you money, and then yeah. They'll they'll expire the you know they'll expire in the next month to attack, but it's just it's just this rotation, chief. They just don't sell everything. The money just moves around, and if it mega caps down for a day, they're buying the small caps. There's a couple days where they go up early, but it just in in the leaders. The, I mean the the leaders are still being the leaders, but the laggards are starting to pick it up here. That you know for the January effect already. Um, it's really, uh, it, you know, financials are perking up. We didn't lose any banks. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if your money's in uh, 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 Chinese stocks. You're probably not whistling Dixie, but uh, <laughs> that that's one sector that, has, or one, uh, I guess you call it a sector that hasn't um, that hasn't caught up with uh, the market. But you know, invasion of Taiwan that hasn't happened. Uh, war, they you know bombing of tankers in the in the Red Sea market don't care. I mean, uh, it's a it's a it's a very resilient market, and um, uh, I just don't know how long it can persist. Well, Joe, how do you? Uh, I mean, I don't usually look that much on individual stocks, but you know sometimes I do just to get a view on it. Sure, and that's kind of your game. But um, I look at something like Costco. I'm a member of Costco. I love the place, right? Um, and I look at uh, uh, I look at like a Lululemon. I look at those things, and I see them at forty-one, forty-five PE, and I'm going, they're retailers for God's sake. They don't, they don't pay a squat as a dividend. I mean, at some point, 
do not go out and sell those because I said so, please, uh, because I'm not doing it. Uh, but where's the number? 50, 60, 100, 150? I mean, there is a spot here where it gets crazy. Even even the tulips got too high, right? <laughs> yeah, well, Co- Costco, uh, you know, they did that. You know, they have good earnings, uh, special dividend of 15 bucks, and they move it 60, uh, which is uh, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, you it, it, those things don't matter until they matter. And right now, they don't matter. People are paying up for that. And, you know, if you can stick to your, your, you know, your discipline, there are, you know, other stocks out there that are trading at, you know, more reasonable PEs. But uh, when you get into a, a momentum market and when the, the machines in the institutions start, you know, they turn it on one way, it's hard to flip the switch. So Costco, I don't know if Costco got a little downgrade or just straight down uh, three bucks today. But when you know when I talk to people, you know, individual investors, people on my show, you know, I don't I don't get too caught up in the you know the highs and lows, the intraday highs and lows. I just I keep an eye on on the mark, right? And uh, you know, the highest mark you ever had at Costco yesterday was six eighty one twenty four. So if an institution had a target. It's six seventy-five. Even though it traded up there, they did unload. That they'll be out here today, and you know, if it gets to be too big of a, a part of their portfolio, maybe something like Nvidia. No, no, Joel, you know you don't do that. You raise your target. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that smart, Chief. Well, you know, I, the other one I looked at was Adobe. You know, these guys got a nice deal. You know, everybody uses the stuff, but they're so big. I look at those guys. You know, whatever a PE is, and I'm going, how do these guys double? They're too big. And maybe they can. I mean, I don't know. But, but you know, what you were mentioning, and uh, people were talking about it yesterday in the air. Uh, there's a lot of stocks out there. The ones I'm talking about, I think. I'm not saying they're too high, but they're historically high PEs for certainly a, a retail firm or those kinds of things. Doesn't mean you know they're not going to go higher. But people talk about all the other stocks that are actually fairly priced and blah blah blah. And I'll tell you all about those stocks, Joel. Nobody wants them. Right. Correct. Nobody wants them. It's either it's either a big part of the the spider or the queue, so everybody puts a nickel in the four hundred one k. You're buying stuff you don't even know you're buying, or you're just buying those stacks. No, nobody cares about telephone. Nobody cares about three M. Nobody cares about any of those things. Right. I mean, three M's got some legal issues, but I mean, by and large, if you were to take a look at the the best stacks last year, entering the year, like the dividend stacks, even the even the uh, stuff for the oils and stuff. You had a horrendous year if you bought those. That's right. And, uh, yeah, you fight. You were fighting the Fed, right? I mean, you know, rates are going now. XLU had, you know, had its uh, had a good day the other day, and then, wow, it just gave it back really quickly. I'm just looking at the XLU though. So, I mean, <laughs> the jury's still out on this whole Fed pivot thing. We had, uh, you know, we had Powell say one thing, and and, and Williams come out and say the other. Uh, and yet, you know, you had whatever Davis come out and say one thing, but you know, if you spend your time trying to, you know, make investment decisions on what these jokers are saying and and the short term movements, then you're missing out on some pretty good moves. Too. Well, that's so the truth. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know when the party ends, but uh, you know, I guess uh, the inflation data they're expecting to come in more. So, well, that's all I got. Yeah, for you, you take care of yourself, but uh, have a nice holiday and. Uh 
Hopefully your team's your basketball team. you, you got to look for football. You're no, you're no longer a basketball school, by the way. Uh, well, well, if we beat Florida tonight, I uh, might be uh, talking about it uh, next week. Next week, I'll send you my schedule for the next couple weeks. I'll All be right, with but... you next next week, though. Go Blue. All right, SP Futures update. Are we going to go right to Kenny? Why don't we? We do. I'm here. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. The, uh, the weather is uh, <clears throat> for December is not bad. Everything's cool. Yeah, well, the weather down here is very nice. What's it like there? Is it you guys got snow yet? No, no, no. We've had uh, we've got an El Nino winter so far. Really? We have, so far, we, you do. Well, I mean, it's we still had, early. Let's put it this way: Saturday, we had so much rain at 40, 42 degrees. If it would have been snow, it'd have been bad. Yeah. No, we, I hear it you. poured for like that twenty-four rain hours. Bad. Yeah, that rain was that rain was bad. We got it down here uh, last weekend. They got it up in you know New York and Boston uh, over the last couple of days. So it was nuts. What about all those guys in Carolina where it, it showed up on high tide or something? I'm look at the flood stuff down there. The whole, the whole world's flooded down there. Yeah, you know what? It showed up at high tide down on Cape Cod too, where uh, where you know where my family has a home. It was water everywhere, everywhere. I'm waiting for pictures today. One of the guys is going to send me pictures. He sent me pictures yesterday. Water was just everywhere. Right? In, in the house. No, not the house is high enough up, but it was all around on the street. The house was completely surrounded in water, but the house was high enough up that it's that it didn't. I don't think the garage may have, but the house didn't. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm not being a East Coast sort of dude too much. I mean, if you got a high tide, I mean, how much does rain affect high tide? What's I mean, another inch on the ocean? Yeah, but it's that, and then it was the winds, right? The winds okay. that uh, that made it even worse. Because yeah, I saw uh, a bunch of guys. What what is with people driving through? Big walls of water just because they have an SUV or they are their minds. You see these pictures every night on TV and going, what is the IQ of these people? Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's amazing to me. They, I think people just do it because they think they can, right? But well, I got whatever. the big suburban. If it's if it's four inches, I'll give it a shot because I'm up pretty high. But if it's a yeah. foot, I don't have to get somebody any place that bad. I mean, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I it's been. Uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't had that down here yet. I would suspect, you know, during hurricane season that down here in Florida that, you know, that would be more of an issue for us. But so far in the five years I've been here, that has not been an issue. Well, you know, if you have a, if you were a, a four-wheeler kind of dude, which I don't think you are, yeah. if you get that magazine, you actually could get yeah. your, old, your old Jeeps and your Broncos. You could actually, if you see one, you still want to see an old one going down the street, where you get this big pipe coming out of the engine compartment, that's your air intake. So if you want to like cross a little river, you can the, the engine breathes some up there. When you can actually submerge pretty well down and get through. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to try it. Yeah. But uh, no, I hear you. I don't. I, yeah. You know, it was one thing when I was younger. I'm just not interested in trying it right now. You remember? Uh, <laughs> I'm looking for my life to be easy. You know. You remember the uh, way back when the movie The Mad Mad World? You ever see that flick? Yeah. Where uh, yeah. the kid told Phil Silvers that. The the, the the creek was only like a half a foot deep, and there's his new car floating down the creek. Remember that yeah. scene? <laughs> so, so what do you make of this? The Fed, what's the point of coming out? Listen, uh, you know what? I, I think they should be ashamed of themselves because either J.J. Powell went off, completely off script last week, um, or, you know, the, the, the committee's completely confused because 
He said one thing. So he gives everyone the impression that, yep, we're, we're cutting rates. We went from not talking about it at all six weeks ago to now we're not only talking about it, but we're cutting rates in the new year, you know, in 2024, um, creating all this excitement on top of the narrative that, you know, that had been building since the end of October when, you know, when the market sold off, when they started to change the narrative and they started to try to, you know, traders and Fed fund futures were, you know, all pushing the Fed to, or all pushing the idea that the Fed was going to make this announcement, make this cut. And then they come out and J.J. Powell basically, you know, basically confirms that now without confirming maybe the extent of the cuts, but absolutely confirming the fact that, you know, they went from not talking to talking. And then when they saw the market reaction, you got four Fed members come out trying to walk it back. But the market is paying zero attention. They don't want to hear it. It doesn't fit their narrative. So they're just ignoring it. And then you got disgraced Mary Daly from San Francisco. Remember Silicon Valley fame? That's right, her. She comes out yesterday and tells, well, no, maybe it's appropriate that we cut rates. And boom, the market just latches on to that, right? No matter who says it, as long as somebody says they're cutting rates, the market latches on. Goldman Sachs, who last week came out and said, you know, one 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 department at Goldman said they see three rate cuts in 2024 and another four in 2025. Yeah, and this morning on CNBC, they had another woman from fixed income from the fixed income department at Goldman. I forget what her name was. It was a, an Indian name. I, I I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't spell it quick enough to after they announce it but she's calling for five rate cuts next year next year in 2024 so here you got two goldman two different departments at goldman calling for two different uh, reactions by the fed so it continues to cause some chaos and look we're into the end of the year as well now you're into exaggerated moves because people are away from their desks both here and and abroad and so there's less people so the volumes are going to be more the volumes will be lower but the moves can be more exaggerated because of that uh, and a lot of it going to be driven by algos right and, and portfolio managers and asset managers are putting in you know bids below the market and offers above the market just in case the market has a dramatic move one way or the other and then they're off to they're off to celebrate the holidays so it is frustrating I think that, uh, you know, it's hard to argue with people when they call you up and they say the whole game is rigged because that's and honestly, that's what it feels like. It feels like they've rigged the whole thing. And and I hate to say it, but I think Jay Powell, who I, you know, I do have a lot of respect for, but I think in retrospect now, after I've heard these other four Fed members this week and last week and this week, uh, I, I think someone went off script. (laughs) <laughs> and I think he gave the impression that not only are they discussing it, but they've already made the decision to cut rates. And I think that's a big mistake. You and I know how I feel. you got unemployment at historic lows. You've got so, uh, supposedly a robust economy. You've got no issues, right? We've avoided this quote-unquote recession, and they want to cut rates and stimulate the economy? It doesn't make sense to me. Besides the fact, the 10-year has already dropped. It's at 3.9%, down from 5%. Mortgage rates have come in fairly substantially from better than 8% to the low 7s now. So the, the, the bond market is doing a lot of the work. It's easing policy. You're never going to get easing in revolving credit card rates. They'll charge you 30%, whether rates are zero or rates are 5%. They're still going to charge you 30%. Well, that's probably so the... you uh, get any easing there. Well, in one man's opinion, that's the biggest sin of the last 25 years of the Fed. They do nothing but talk about driving rates down for the economy, but they leave 85% of the, other than mortgages, they leave 85% of the economy or the people behind. It doesn't matter. 
Exactly. Well, because they don't control, the Fed doesn't control what Nordstrom's is charging on their revolving credit. And Nordstrom's and the rest of them take full advantage of, you know, usurious rates. I, I'm not even sure why that's not regulated. Where is Liz Warren in all this? Because that seems to me that uh, it should be regulated. It's your, your Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. Oh, no, true. It's true. It's true. I hear you. But then you've got the the buy now, pay later, which is now the latest, the latest thing to come up. Right. Wait till they start defaulting on uh, on uh, on those after the after in the new year when all these people that bought all these Christmas presents on buy now, pay later. Wait till that starts a default. Well, I think, uh, you know, you you and others pay way more attention. I mean, you're on the TV and so forth and have to be up on this. And what are the. The specific cuts in rates, whether it's three or four, I mean, that's obviously the news, all right, and people are talking about it. For me, it's, it's uh, in the last two meetings, the message for me is, has been absolutely clear. Uh, Kenny, is it they're, 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 they have no intention of attacking the price level, even though he did mention that the current price level is a real problem for most, for most, of, the, most of the population. He said something like that. But yeah. it just but basically said that's just the way it goes. And that Yeah, agreed. And that Yeah, agreed. Well, he but, can attack. How's he gonna attack the how's he gonna attack every time he opens his mouth, right? The, the the interpretation is they're cutting rates no matter what he says, they're cutting rates, right? Um and so they so they've created this asset bubble. The the problem I have is if you look at the if you look at the charts over the last eight weeks, they've done nothing they've done nothing to go straight up. Straight up, there hasn't been one day where they pulled back at all to digest, to kind of to see what's going. On. Not at all. And but, so you and I both know when when the negative headline hits the tape, the the stocks will collapse. They'll collapse that quickly. You know that, and I know that. I, I see. I think the second part of what he's saying, I'm surprised everybody picks up on the on the rate cut piece. But I think yeah. the, to me, that's that's like the second derivative of the curve. The first derivative yeah. is he basically said. We're still focused on two percent, but if we don't get there that fast, I'm not going to worry about it. So basically, saying if it's right. three or four for like another four years, uh, we're, we're still don't worry. We're still focused on two. Yeah, I, you know, that's I'm, right. I don't think they're expected to get to two until sometime in 2026. It's like it's like focused on your new diet as you go out and have you know clam linguine or yeah. something. <laughs> I mean, I mean he, no, I hear you, which is which is what's really frustrating. So the fact that the fact that they're already telling you that it may be another three or four years till we get to two percent. Why would you stimulate the economy at that point? All you're going to do is reignite inflation. I don't, All you're going to do is reignite it. I don't think that they right? care that much about the economy. I think they care about the the market and the asset prices. You can't. Well, but do they also care about? I hate to say it, and I'm trying not to be political here, but it is a it is an election year, and actually one of the things the Fed is not supposed to do is to change policy six months in advance of any election. Oh, these guys, they're, That's they're, what, they're, unless they're, there's something so completely broken. They've, right? they've already set the policy for the year. They're going to be very accommodative. Correct. Correct. And so, and so, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but you have to wonder. Um, uh, you have to wonder if that's playing into. Uh, into this narrative, which I think it is, because other than that, I don't see it. I, I don't see why there's a reason to cut rates. The bond market's doing the work. Mortgage rates have come down. Real estate brokers are telling you, oh, my God, it's going to be such a great selling season. Buyers are ready to pounce. Well, if buyers are ready to pounce, what makes you think sellers are going to sell their houses at a discount if that's the if that's the, if, if that's the narrative out there? There are so many buyers ready to pounce. Really? That means demand is up? Why should I sell my house at a discount? 
Um, it doesn't make sense. Nancy was on yesterday, our mortgage lady. She said the difference between eight and a half and seven and a quarter, it's a pimple on the ass of an elephant. That doesn't do anybody Well, it anything. might be a pimple on the ass of the elephant, but if the rates go down and the housing price goes up, I just put it in my note this morning. A $500,000 loan at 8% is $3,600 a month. But if the price of the house goes up and now you need a, a 7.25% loan at $600,000, the, the, the monthly mortgage is $4,031 a month. Well, so right. it's up 400. So in that one case, where has anyone been helped? Okay, I got a low rate. Great, but you paid more for the house because now they've jammed pri- uh, prices up again. It doesn't make sense to me. What um, I have a question for you in terms of what could possibly go wrong, which of course neither, none of us can ever possibly <laughs> um, think about it. But my, my man Russell, and he's he's been Mister China. He's been done a lot of work over there, consulting and everything. He's convinced convinced that we're not given anywhere. Nobody's given that place the respect of, of the bomb it could be that it deserves. He goes, it's, it's ten times what, bigger. China? He says, it's, it's ten times bigger than long, long-term capital or Argentinian debt, if anything goes. It's not even the same planet. In terms yeah. of people losing money there, well, he goes, way more people are invested there than we're in long-term capital. Well, and I hear you, which is exactly, that goes right to my point about not, you know, I don't invest in, in in Asia. I don't invest in China, certainly not in China. I guess my only exposure to China is in things like Apple. Okay, so yes, you could say I'm invested in China, but Apple's really a U.S. company, right? I'm not invested directly in China. I don't buy Chinese ADRs. I don't do any of that stuff, probably because they, they don't play by the rules. They'll change the rules whenever they want to accommodate them, so therefore that's out for me. I don't care who you are, Alibaba, whatever. It just doesn't make sense to me, and I think there's too many other places to be able to put your money i mean in terms of risk there's got to be people here that are have, have, have investments there that are unless they've all been really good kenny uh you know the black racks of the world i'm just picking that name out because they're always talking about it yeah maybe they have recognized the danger and have pared it all down and maybe you know maybe our guys have anticipated but there's always somebody who doesn't yeah i mean may, may, maybe maybe they have but we'll see you know um uh, I guess that's going to be that's going to be a story for 2024, right? Because yep. we're out in 2023 now, so that's going to be a highlight in 2024. So, so uh, just brace yourself. Which goes to my point about, and you and I both know this about creating, you know, a diversified, well balanced portfolio that's going to be able to ride the storm. Well, the only issue with that is if the whole market goes down, everything goes down. You know. Yeah. No. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. No. Agreed. Everything will go down for sure. Some things will go down a lot, a lot more than others. But yes, will everything go down? Sure. What? Uh, where are you doing Christmas? Florida or back uh, to Boston? Um, um, Christmas Eve will be at my house. My parents come up. My brother, my sister-in-law, my kids will be there. Um, so Christmas Eve at my house, we're going to do, um, uh, you know, the seven fishes, like I featured in my note this uh, the past couple of weeks, and then. Uh, Christmas Day is really kind of, you know, Christmas Eve is the bigger night for us. Uh, Christmas Day, we just kind of hang out. We open presents. We'll make uh, I'll make probably raviolis on Christmas Day, and we'll just relax. Watch movies, whatever. Well, actually, down here in Florida, we'll probably go to the beach if it's a nice day. Yeah, that'd be nice. And then, uh, well, the next day we got to work, so it's not the same yeah, as the last year. the next day we got to work. Right. So, the next day right, we got to we'll work. By yourself. the way, are we on the next day? Are you, yeah, are yes, you having a Yes, we are. Yes, we are. It's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a trading day. Who knows? You know, yeah, no, like I happen. hear you. I just didn't know if you were taking any time off. But, yes, I'll be here. All right, bud. Take care of yourself. SP Futures up 11. Right. NASDAQ Futures up 32. Be right back. Uh, Professor Hell.
This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures up 10. NASA futures up 26. We're, we're still going up every day here. We're, we're going up a little slower, but then this is the holiday period. It looks like we might continue to creep here till the end of the year, but you know, who knows? That can change. Do we have the professor? Good morning, Tom. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. I uh, was creating all day yesterday and I have a migraine like you can't believe. <laughs> You're creating. Creating what? Grading. Oh, grading. Great. It's the end of the yeah. I thought you were saying the you semester. Were, they said you were creating. Creating is always tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the hard part is the uh, the email request that I get for I call what I call a grade grace. God. <laughs> That's the hard part. I don't. Right? Uh, you know, the, the world is. I mean, the world maybe was already changed for other people, but I never once, except one time, I, I. I uh, I wrecked some ligaments in my ankle when I was home at Christmas, my, whatever year it was in college. I had to go see professors about catching up. I never once communicated with anybody, ever. Yeah. Never went to their office, I never, never I talked to them, never, never called them. There was no email. I just went to class, did the stuff, and that was it. I mean, the yeah. idea that everybody's all over everybody, talking about grades, going to see the what, what are people doing? I know it's, <laughs> it's just not I remember, me. I remember, I... I I didn't do it either. I uh, it's probably why I was in school so long because I never ever spoke to an advisor, never ever got my schedule from an advisor. The only time I ever talked to a professor was after I took calculus one and two. I was I think I was in calculus three at the time, and I walked into Doctor Kratz's office. He had a ponytail. He looked like uh, uh, Captain Kangaroo with a ponytail. He was a really cool, dude. And I walked in his office and uh, I just go, "Hey, Doctor Kratz." How does a guy get a job like what you've got? You don't, do, goes, you don't, don't do nothing. <laughs> Sit on the sofa all day and don't do care. No, you didn't say that. I go, it's just like, I walk in his office and I ask him that question. He goes, well, you got to get a PhD. And I'm like, what is a PhD? And he goes, well, you have to get a bachelor's degree. And then you typically get a master's degree. And you get what's called a doctorate. I'm like, <sighs> oh, do you guys offer those here at Idaho State? Oh, God. So I had no clue. I was 28 out of the Navy. And I just finished the calculus sequence, I think. And uh, I wanted a job as a, a college professor. And I had no clue about anything because I'd never spoken to anybody about anything. I've never, 
spoke to professors about grades. I just did the work. When I was an undergrad, we had a new group project, and my group got together. They looked at me, and I said, I got it, because I was not going to let them tear down my grade. I was going to do it all myself, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, weren't, uh, we weren't big on the group stuff, but... Uh... It started It started in the 1990s, I think. A lot of that group work started in the 1990s. Yeah, well, the only, the only time I uh, actually got a, caught a break from a one of those guys is when I changed from pre-med into arts and letters. In Notre Dame, you can either take business economics or you can take economics, which is essentially a social science. And yeah. That's, that's what I took, which which was the, you know, it's it's different than the business economics. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and uh, But the, the issue there was you had to take, to get an arts and letters degree, you needed three semesters of a language. Mm. And I'm like, horrible languages. And I go, <laughs> uh, and I, so I tried French. Of course, the entire class had already taken French in, in high school, so they were a bunch of sandbaggers. And we had this, you know, no, more, normally the professors at Notre Dame were either priests or a bunch of grumpy old guys. There's this beautiful girl that is the head of this class, of the teacher. And she's like 25. She's adorable. Wearing this, you know, whatever, fairly revealing dress. I couldn't. It was one of those classes where you, they start out talking French to you right out of the gate. Yeah. And the other guys, of course, know something of what you're saying. I don't know anything. So I go back to the guy and I go, this isn't working. He goes, well... <laughs> He goes, we got this old couple here that teaches Italian. They only have, like, just so we can say we teach Italian. She goes, nobody in there knows Italian. There's probably eight people in the class. Why don't you go hang with these this old couple for a while? So, <laughs> so, I, so I took Italian for two semesters, and I was terrible at it, but they gave me Bs. And uh, I, never, I, never went to, I never went to listen to a tape. I mean, I, I gave it my best effort. But So finally, after two classes, I go to see the guy, and I go, you know, I fought the good fight here. Can't we do anything about this? And he goes, I see you're... Uh, You've been in a couple classes that have, uh, uh, you know, plays that, that have uh, you like you like reading plays. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, there's one here on Greek tragedies. Why don't you take that? That's close enough. And I go, done. <laughs> I, I, I took that. And I didn't. That's the last time, as people can tell, I have enough trouble with English. Uh, so that was it. That's the only time I ever call, talked to a counselor. Well, uh, yeah. And he helped me out, so to a certain extent. But I mean, I, you know, whatever. I just it's a. But what is the, what is the state of uh, of higher education here. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of people are all over the, you know, the prices are huge. The You see even, you know, how much we're paying for even high school here in Chicago, and, and people don't seem to be learning all that much. Now, that's a gen- gross generalization, I know, but uh, colleges, I mean, I, uh, some of the guys I know from the, the smaller schools, like the Columbia's and those kind of people, they claim that their enrollment's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. the, at some of the smaller schools, I'm sure... The big ones are probably still pretty full up, but what, what's going? I mean, I haven't really had anybody on. Got to get Eric back to talk about it. Uh, but what what is the what is the state of that? Is Illinois and, and Michigan still trying to get people from other states because they pay more and get rid of the people in their state? I mean, is it the big money grab, or is it that people they getting three applications for one spot anymore, or, or what's going on? Well, I think I think what's going on is uh, the colleges and universities that have been built out were built out to uh, service uh, like a baby boomer you know four kids per household type of population and that whole thing is changing I think you got high, you got uh, uh, shrinking or not growing as fast uh, high school population and I think there's a growing percentage of young people who are 
considering going to college, thinking, yeah, maybe I don't need college. So you have all this infrastructure that's built out. And I think you have a lot fewer people who are interested in going to college. And on top of that, college, you know, from my perspective, perspective as an economist um, at Westminster College in Utah, um, a, a Christian university last year, and now back at NCA and T State University, um, you know, it's different now. I think what's going on now is um, the people that are wanting to go to college kind of want to see it as, a, you know, life experience. And so for schools like NCA and T or private liberal arts colleges, it's a seller's market, right? I mean, it's, it's a buyer's market. Sorry, it's a buyer's market. It's a student's market. Um, for a place like Columbia or Harvard, it's probably still a seller's market. But for, you know, the kind of schools I work at, it's definitely a, a buyer's market. And if you don't adapt to that, uh, and, and the way I've adapted to it is I hate exams. I hate grading exams. All my, all my stuff in my classes, it's all projects, right? My stats courses, my analytics courses, even my econ courses. Every day we go into class, I've coded up a model in a thing called my open math. What, what kind Where, of pro- what kind of projects? I'm not into these fi- science fair projects. What are you doing? Yeah, no, not science fair projects. Just like a data project or a modeling project. Like, for example, uh, when I teach a three hour class, I have two of these lessons, and they're uh, they're like interactive powerpoints, but not in a powerpoint. Every student gets a different model in econ. Like everybody, will, they'll have a different intercept, a different slope of their demand and supply curves than I do. They're all kind of similar. Our answers are all kind of similar. So it forces the student to be engaged. They can't just write stuff down and look at the window. They're, in order to get the points for being in class that day, they have to solve their version of a supply and demand model where we analyze the effects of an increase in the minimum wage, for example, right? So I, I try to make it interactive and engaging where you don't just write stuff down, you memorize a bunch of stuff, you take an exam at midterms, and then you dump it a day later, right? That's not how I run my classes. Every day you come into class, you have to be engaged. Uh, you, you, in a stats class, your if the variable is number of chips in a chocolate chip cookie, and we got 30 cookies we've sampled at random, every student's gonna have a different mean. By sample, you mean, you, mean, you mean ate them? It's gonna be a generated, it's gonna be a hypothetical uh, simulation. Oh, you don't, get to eat, you, don't, you don't get to eat them and count. No, 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 no. <laughs> Everything is a simulated data set, right? And everybody has a different mean, everybody has a different standard deviation. It makes teaching sampling distributions very easily because I go around the room and I say, hey, what'd you get for your sample mean? What'd you get for yours? What'd you get for yours? What'd you get for yours, right? So that's how I teach. And it's, it's I want it to be engaging and you're learning from the get-go. You're not writing stuff down and looking out the window and then memorizing it the night before the test. I just think that's backwards. And I don't think that's what kids are looking for. And some kids like it. I think most kids like it. Some kids don't. They want to just be told what's going to be on a test, take the test, and then dump it. Right? Well, I, I think you, so, uh, you're you a little harsh on the dump part because I think I, I remember an awful lot of what I had in those kinds of classes. Well, yeah, but it, Tom, you and I are different. But mo- a lot of students, man, they'll, they'll cram for that test. It's a subject they hate. They'll cram for it. They might do okay on the test. And then two weeks later, they have no idea. Because I've, I've talked to a lot of former students. My students at Washington State University, when I was a graduate student, they all get a kick out of me because they still remember my test. I gave a test at midterms and I gave a test at, at finals. 
And my tests were only two questions long, but they happened to be like parts A through L. Oh, God. <laughs> so I, I, I write these long modeling. That, that was the beginning of my, of my method, is I'd write these long modeling questions that would walk students through a model, right? A model on Brady Bunch, uh, you know, records. You know, Marsh has got to buy, you know, whatever, you know, records, Beatles records or Monkeys records, right? And some of the good. So I started writing these big, long modeling questions back then, but they were on paper. And my students got a kick out of it, right? They still talk about how, you know, two questions, parts A through M. And uh, I just, I think it's just different. And when you're at a place like uh, Alliance or Westminster College or NCA&T, uh, you know, students are, I don't think they want to like, you know, whether they, what they want, we have to recognize it. And the kind of experience they want is they want to learn it, but they need to do it in a different way than what you and I went through, right? They, they, want, an ex, they want an experience. So what, I, happened, I what happens to the guy who like to schlump in and sit in the back back row and sit there and take down some notes and yeah, that would, that would be me. I don't think that's the experience that these kids want. I think there are a few that do want that. But, you know, at a, at a school like NCA&T, you know, if a student is like the method that a teacher has, they can go to a different section, right? But I think I think a lot of students want that experience where you know class is engaging, the teachers asking them questions, uh, they have to make calculations, um, they can't just sit there and write stuff down and memorize it, right, and and then regurgitate it on a test. I think that's that Prussian model is old and dated. I don't think it's what kids are looking for. Like in my analytics courses, when I when kids have to do a, a coding assignment, like in say Python. I'll, I'll give them screenshots of the code for the day, and there'll be errors embedded in the code. You know, I'll place a couple errors in the code. And what they have to do before class is they have to type it up and run it, and they're gonna get errors, because there's errors in the code. They make errors, and there's purple, there, there's errors placed purposely in the code. And so we, when we get to class, they've already typed it all up, and then we go through it line by line, and I do it in Excel so it's visual, and then we run it in Python as we fix the errors. And I think it's very, I think it helps them learn how to code, especially students who aren't going to code ever in their in their future. That would be me. Have no interest in it, and they got to get through the class, right? So, you still like this uh, this this approach now that Kevin writes in and he says he 100 percent agrees with you? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I just think at Harvard, you know, I mean, what is what does Harvard really do to really young, smart people? What does it really do? Does it really provide them with value, yeah. or is it just networking? Very expensive networking. Yeah, you're. Right? you're uh, you're, you're buying the Harvard name. Yeah, you are, right. So I don't think they're really, I don't think young people that go to Harvard are really being transformed by the education that Harvard offers. I mean, they, they might learn some new stuff, but I think uh, a person that goes to Harvard, a really sharp cookie, they're going to be a sharp cookie no matter where they go. They, they can, they're going to be a sharp cookie you're, they you're, get right you're, out, hired right out of high school. You're, you're, buying, you're buying the selection process. Yeah, I think so, yep. And yeah. so somebody's going to say, that guy went to Harvard, he's special because... He wasn't especially wouldn't he get in. Yeah. So they have, it makes that's why, I think that's why they have such high demand. But, you know, with this uh, war in Israel going on and the, the professor, the, the president of the university saying what she said in, uh, in front of Congress, I've heard, uh, I've read articles where en enrollments are actually down because of it. I think people are, are really understanding what's going on in these colleges. I don't think they're a place where people go to get valuable job skills for the most part. I mean, there are there are programs where you do that, 
But I think for the most part, for the vast majority of students that go to these universities, uh, I think they're, the, the goal of the university is to turn them into like social justice warriors, not give them the skills they need to succeed in this really uh, incredible future we have where you might have to work with an AI, right? Or you may have to manage an AI. That, that's the future, right, in, in uh, corporate Americas. Maybe, maybe man, you know, a human resource management book is going to be modified in the future so that uh, people know how to manage uh, other resources like AI, right? Maybe you'll have AI management, human resource management, AI management in one in one textbook, right? So that that's the future. And I don't think you're getting really solid, solid job skills in many of these programs, right? I just don't think you're getting them. And I think you still get them in the business programs, but I think I think you really get the the skill in an economics degree because in an economics degree we're not really training you how to do something, we're really training you how to think about the world. In business, well, we're training I think you it's how absolutely to right. It's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. In business, you, you you know you train somebody how to do accounting. But right? a lot of it's so much so much. Uh, you know, is to me, I mean, being my Mister Mister Numbers knucklehead. It's it's all about it's all about the price. Yeah. I mean, when I when I went to Notre Dame, it was, you know, the dream of a lot of people on the South Side, especially Catholic people. It was a dream of my dad. I mean, he, he died young. You know, if he could possibly have one of his kids go to Notre Dame, let alone both, you know, he you know that was that was a cat's ass basically on the South Side for a Catholic guy, and uh, so that was, you know, I did well in high school and I and I you know ended up going to Notre Dame and, but it was three thousand bucks a year. He, you didn't I mean granted you were supposed to learn something while you were there um yeah. my grandma used to say you didn't go to school just to eat your lunch did you you know no you didn't but the idea that you had to come out as an accountant or an engineer or something the idea for if it's three grand a year even if your dad owned an electric company so what you go to Notre Dame for four years and you and you get this diversified experience we don't even care if you're taking English or pre-law or whatever economics you, you, that means that you're on your own for four years. You learn how to deal with people. And oh, by the way, you got this huge diversified education, which they're really into in Notre Dame. And, and, and even when I was there, it started to get. This is way back. It started to get more and more. Oh no! If you're not going for accounting, you know, your CPA. What are you doing here? And one of the priests, my buddies, got married out in Rochester, and one of his best friends is this one priest that was a <clears throat> one of the deans in the business school, and he was the head of student union, a real good guy. So after about nine cocktails, the night before the wedding, he says to me, you know, this whole routine that everybody's got to be in in uh, accounting or engineering, he goes, I, I didn't give up my life to work at a, uh, at a vocational school. <laughs> he goes, you're supposed to come here and learn about the world and how to think and how to deal with people. Yeah. And, but now at 70 grand a year, if you don't come out of there with some kind of skill that makes it, quote, worthwhile... You've, you've wasted your time, right? And, and you're not yeah, gonna, you're I, not going to do that in economics or English or something else. But it's but it's all because the price determines the strategy. That's that's what's so beautiful about option trading. You know, is you can yeah. sit there and go, God, I'd love to buy like like Tesla. You know, I don't know where Tesla's going. You know, it's trading two fifty three. It's up a buck. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't I, I, I could I could go off on how much money they got from other people and how the company wouldn't even be in business if they didn't do that. But that's another story. But I, I don't want to necessarily be long Tesla and take the risk. But if you would if you say, I'll sell you the two fifty puts, 
next June for 50 cents, I'll say, wait a minute, I'll be long at that price. So if I, if I buy the stock and buy the put, the most I can lose is three bucks. And oh, by the way, if the stock goes up to 400, I can make, you know, whatever, 147. I'll do that trade in a second, just because of the price. You know, without even caring whether, you know, that I don't even know, I don't even care what the name of the company is, right? So it's, it, a lot of it depends on on the price of what you're talking about, and and uh, and education sure is. Now that you're paying so much for it, all of a sudden now it has to be quote worth it. Well, worth it means, well, now you're an accountant. An accountant makes 150 a year, or a regular schlump makes 30. So you better because that's what we have to do to pay off this 260 thousand dollar note. That wasn't even in the vernacular when I was there. Yeah, but it's I like, think I think in a lot of what I tell young people is, I don't know if you remember this movie, but it's called American Beauty with Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey's the dad, and he hates his life. He resents his wife. He resents his daughter. And he resents them because he got this marketing degree or advertising degree, and he works in advertising or marketing. And he he feels like he has to keep his job because of health insurance benefits. Right? Probably, he probably, probably does. Yeah. And so he resents his wife, he resents his child. This is one reason why I don't believe health insurance should be tied. I mean, if the company wants to offer it, fine. But it shouldn't be mandated by law, right? Because what it does is it traps people in these careers that they may not like. Once they, you know, in school, marketing sounds like a great thing to do, right? But then maybe once you get into the profession, you go, man, I cannot stand this because all I'm doing is I'm helping companies extract the most amount of money from the consumers, and it makes me feel bad about myself. But you're trapped in this job, right? So I always tell young people, when you go to college, take a bunch of different classes and a bunch of different subjects. And the class that you love going to, the class that you love reading, the class that you enjoy doing the discussions in, enjoy doing the homework. That's that's where your passions lie. And that's what you should major in. That's your passions telling you this is your major. And if you major in that and then you graduate and then you go off and you work in that field and and you just work hard at it, you're going to be a success. You will. If you work hard in a field that you're passionate about, you're going to be a success. I, I you know, and I think that the, the thing is, I think a lot of young people don't want to get trapped in something that uh, they can't do morally. I think a lot of young people that I interact with, they don't want to work for a hedge bank or a hedge fund. They don't want to work for an investment bank. They don't want to work uh, for a marketing firm because of these moral consequences, right? So I think a lot of young people are looking for something uh, where they're not going to make some greedy fat cat wealthier. I'm, I think that's what they're thinking, right? So that's what I love about economics is it, it trains you to think about the world. It trains you to look at data. Uh, and I think a good economics program isn't going to uh, skew uh, a student's uh, perspectives in a way that makes them a, a warrior for their cause, right? I, I think a good economics degree says, here's the data, here's the theory, and a, and a good economics program produces students who can look, no matter what their politics are, they can look at the data, they can look at the policy and come up to a conclusion that, hey, this policy of this politician that I don't like or like is good or bad, and this is why. And in that that's what a good economics degree does. You also need to be able, at the higher end, you ought to be able to anticipate it when you do it. I mean, that's uh, yeah. there was a big difference between grad school and undergrad. Yeah. Undergrad, they, they would teach you this stuff and... In grad school, they expected you, okay, you know, Hal Snyder's the, the the president of the, or the head of the the Federal Reserve. He's going to do this policy change. 
work it through. Who's helped? Who's hurt? What happens? Yeah, you should be able to anticipate that. And you get the feeling that the people that we have in these positions either can't do that or absolutely can do that, and they know exactly what they're doing. And I don't know which is worse. In some in some cases, but you know, it's funny that the costs. You can see how costs affect you know everything. I mean, uh, when I was uh, first got out of grad school. I worked for Allied Van Lines, and I worked for Pullman. I mean, if you, if you wanted to go to grad school at night, those guys, University of Chicago, you name it, they paid for it. They didn't give a crap, right? It was, it was three grand a year, so six grand, and somebody's an MBA. It, it was, you know, it was no no big deal. All of a sudden, you know, two years later, it's eight grand, and then it's ten grand, and finally, guys are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't just quit the, the day after you graduate. If you don't, you have to work here two years or you always have the money back, you know, that kind of stuff. And I kind of wonder, as people are opening the door to this football and basketball transfers all over the place in college, where there's not going to have to be some compensation to the older school, the old school. Yeah. I mean, why should somebody recruit somebody, essentially give them education for two years, give them all the coaching, and all of a sudden... The person's a stud or stud cake or whatever, studette. And somebody says, okay, now you come play for us and you're just bleep out of luck. You never got a dime out of the person, even though you're into them for, they're into you for, you know, 180 grand. I, I think somewhere along the line, either that person is going to have to give you some of that money back or the new school is going to have to give you some dough. Why not? I mean, it, it, economically, it's the same as I just mentioned before. When a price goes up, the, the value of what you're doing becomes more valuable, right? Yeah, well, th- I think there, there's a. Uh, I don't know if you've read about Cam Cam Ward, the Washington State quarterback. He's the wing T quarterback in a Texas high school that went to a Christian University, Immaculate, in uh, in Texas, and then he transferred to Washington State a couple years ago, and he did two years at Washington State. Okay. Apparently, the money in the NAL is really impressive. I mean, he's being wooed by like I think Ohio State. I thought he I thought he'd end up at Oregon. But he's been wooed. I, I don't think he wants to play in the cold. I think he wants to play in the warm uh, south. And the money that uh, Miami supposedly is thrown at him in the NIL is incredible. So, you know, now now these players in college with this NIL, they don't have to jump ship one year, um, like in basketball, right? Do their one year, one and done, and go to the NBA. They can they can hang out for four years and six. You know, yeah, six years now with the with the COVID, right? I think that's ending, but uh, at least five, though, going forward. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's going to be a lot fewer one-and-dones, and I think there's going to be, for the elite talent, like a Cam Ward, who has options, money's going to be thrown at the guy, and he doesn't have to go pro necessarily. He doesn't have to go to the NFL to make that kind of money anymore. So, I mean, maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. Uh, I always think, you know, the most freedom – the more freedom there is, the better it is for everybody. I think uh, under a, a system – with few government regulations uh, and moral uh, actors in the market, I, I don't think you can get a system better than that. So, uh, you know, the NCA, I think the NCA is going to be going away. I don't think maybe, maybe the NCA runs everything but football. Uh, I think it does all right with basketball, well, but it's gonna be, totally mismanaged. Well, let's uh, let's stick that up as a t- uh, topic after break because careful what you wish for. SB Futures yeah. up nine, NASDAQ up 24. Be right back. Stacks and Jackson. 
This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello and welcome to Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about a great campus on the board. SP Futures up 10. NASDAQ Futures up 27. We keep creeping and creeping. Dow Futures up 81. Uh, we're kind of slowing down, but we're still creeping. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 63.4%. FTSE down 2. Call that flat. Kick around down 34 cents. Let's call that flat. So I guess we're slightly higher in Europe. Uh, Asia. Japan's up 460. 1.4%. They keep their monetary policy unchanged, which is, you know, so ridiculous to keep the interest rates down where they are, but that's their shtick. Hang Seng down 124.7%, 16,505, right in the middle of that 16 to 17 range. Shanghai up a buck, call that flat. Yesterday, where the Dow was uh, up 86 cents, the S&P up 21, NASDAQ up 91, so positive day again. Uh, Bonds down 5 basis points, 3.91, long way down from the 5 where they were a few weeks ago. Uh, Bund down 5 basis points, 2.02. Japan down six basis points, 0. 0.60. Oil actually down a little bit today, uh, down 17 cents, 72.30. It's crept up here a little bit. A lot of that has to do with uh, all the issues going on with the Suez Canal with the pirates and not their pirates. There, people attacking ships over there in a couple of places. Uh, BP says they're not going through the canal anymore, at least for a while. Brent down a penny, 77.94. Natural gas down five cents, 2.45. We've got gold uh, up 4.50, 2,045. Uh, silver down up 21 cents, 24.32. Copper up 3 cents, 3.89. We have uh, Bitcoin uh, rallying back here today after getting clobbered yesterday, up 1,086, 42,927. And we have the U.S. dollar actually down pretty heavy, 0.7% uh, against the uh, British pound, a full 90, uh, 90 ticks. So that's back up to 127.4. The euro is up to 109.6. So big whack whack in the dollar here today. Uh, what are you doing for us, traffic, weather, sports, Greg? Morning, everyone. 7.33 here in Chicago. 19 degrees right now. 35 today, mostly sunny. Phoenix, 58 degrees. And uh, 74 today with clouds and some sun a little bit later. Traffic, inbound Kennedy from Montrose is 15 minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 29 minutes. Wolf uh, from Wolf is 24 minutes. And 95th to the interchange on the Rhine is 23 minutes. And the inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Rhine is 30 minutes. NBA, Bulls upset the Sixers. That was in Philly, 108-104. In the playoff hunt. <laughs> and uh, in the NFL, Eagles lose at Seahawks, 17-20. That's all I got, Chief. It was a pretty good game. Yeah. Back the Eagles you. have lost, what, three in a row? And they still. It's amazing how that... Uh, 
Okay, I watched them play four weeks ago, and I'm like, God, these guys are terrific. Nobody's going to beat them. And all of a sudden, the next week, Dallas clobbers somebody, and then they lose Sunday. It really is not, not who you play. It's when you play them, eh? Come back to earth. Well, he's, everybody's got injuries. I mean, it's a 17-game season. It's, it's a long time. Um, so, yeah, when you talk about NIL, I, uh, without having to make the story too long, it really is at least at least three kinds of, of NIL that uh, I come up with. One is, I think, the original intention of the Supreme Court, although it's hard to tell what those guys want, uh, is, you know, you're... You're a football player somewhere. You also happen to be, you know, built like a dinosaur, and now all of a sudden you're you're doing modeling stuff, which you couldn't do before. Well, that's that's your own shtick, your own contract. You went and found that essentially by yourself. That that was really what the whole intention was. Or and I won't say the intention, but that's what the the Supreme Court essentially lightened up. That did the, the school didn't own your likeness, right? But now. That's been moved over into the fact where you have these big groups of people that are getting contributions and running these side businesses where they're essentially paying students to go to a certain school. Or uh, could be uh, Under Armour, you know, paying your your kid, give him a big uh, shoe contract because he's a big star. And, oh, by the way, he just so happens to be going to Notre Dame because they're an Under Armour school. Or if it's Adidas, he's going to some other place. So they're essentially giving the kid a shoe contract, but I doubt very much if the kid's going to get a, a, a shoe contract for Under Armour and he's going to go to a, an Adidas school. I don't think that's going to happen. And then and then we're getting to the point where some schools essentially are, are supposedly paying, which I don't know where that's coming from. But So there's like all kinds of different nuances of this when you say NIL. So which one are you yeah. sort of talking about? Well, I think it's just in general, I, you know, I think the problem with the NCAA is it started out as this, I mean, it's basically a cartel, right? And early on, it controlled who got on TV. There were only one or two national games a week. Well, we only had, that was long before cable. So you only had three stations, right? Yeah, but it was was basically dictating who could be on TV and what. And all that door kind of got busted open when it was like Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma took the NCAA to court in the 1980s and then that allowed the teams and the, the conferences to negotiate uh, TV rights with whatever network wanted to broadcast their games okay but, but you're, you're right about all that except yeah. <clears throat> when you're talking about only could be on a couple times it was because the only team the only place that put him on was ABC yeah so they said okay every only team can only be on twice a year because we have so many teams yeah. It, was, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't that egregious. There was only a few stations. Yeah. But I think I think the NCAA wanted to maintain that control through oh, the sure. 1980s. And you got ESPN blowing up. You have Fox. They had these regional sports networks, Rocky Mountain Sports Network in the 1980s. So you had all these regional sports networks popping up, and I think the NCAA was trying to clamp down on it. And this idea of bowls, I mean, this whole idea of bowl games, I mean, it's socialism. You know, uh, there are, what, 50 bowls, 100 teams get into bowls. Well, it didn't used to be that many. All they have to do is be 500 to get into a bowl, and everybody gets their trophy. I mean, the market wanted a playoff. A market, The market has wanted a playoff. No, Nobody wanted to see uh, paper champions, I don't think. I mean, some people liked the bowl system because it was tradition, 
But in my opinion, it was always a horrible tradition. The NCAA is big money. The, the NCAA basketball tournament is big money. And this idea that we have to have these bowls that nobody is attending, nobody's watching. I don't know who watches these bowls. They're, they're cheap, they're cheap uh, yeah. TV for ESPN. They don't, they don't even send the, so uh, they don't even send the so announcers to the game. Available, there's so much more available in a, in a playoff like they have in the FCS or Division One AA. I mean, yeah, but you're talking you about the, 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 diff- the difference is you're talking about football. I mean, how, yeah. many, how many games do you want 19-year-old kids to play? Yeah. Well, but you scale back the regular season a little no, bit. They're, no, they're, they're never, they're never going to do that. Yeah. But, the, I mean, when you're talking about Philadelphia and Dallas looking unbeatable, right, this is the problem with college football that the NFL knows a lot about. You got these really good teams, Dallas and Philadelphia, and in, in most cases the NFL – a good team wants to be undefeated at home and go 500 on the road, right? Because it's hard playing on the road. It's hard for Dallas, an indoor team, to go on the road and play in Buffalo, right? And you look at their record, their home record. When they go on the road, they're not very good. And then you got a team like Alabama. Everybody thinks Alabama's so good. Or Georgia's so good. But they play, you know, their non-conference schedule is pretty weak. You know, recently it's gotten a little better. But Alabama this year played Texas at home and got beat. The week before they play Auburn, who lost to New Mexico State by 21 points at home. That The weekend before they play Auburn, they're playing, I don't know, Chattanooga or something like that. So the, you, these teams build up this impression that they're unbeatable because they schedule all these not very good teams, right? They're in a different league at home. Right, and so you think this team's unde- unbeatable, and ESPN feeds that, right? And they've been doing it for years. When you get in the NFL, man, a good team like Philadelphia can lose on the road. A good team like Alabama, if they had to play a true, you know, half their games at home and half their games on the road, they would not be unbe- undefeated every year because you can't have your A game every year, right? So college is so much different than NFL because NFL says the good teams last year have got to play the good teams from last year, right? And the bad teams last year get to play the bad teams last year. In college, you're an on-conference schedule. The team gets to pick their schedule, right? And they get to pick them and play it at home, right? And if they go on the road, they make sure it's a, a neutral game or they think it's a game that they can easily win, like Alabama going to well, South why, why, I mean, Why would you, if you're in the Big Ten, why would you Why would you schedule yeah. three or four really, well, really tough why games? Why would you, right? Why would you? So... When people are shocked that Philadelphia loses, I'm not, because they have to go on the road and play in Seattle. Dallas being beaten on the road. Because I think we, we grew up in this world of college football where we have these uh, myths about these teams, right? And and the sports networks, they feed it, right? The week before Philadelphia loses, the week before Dallas loses on the road, these experts on the news, sporting news, talk about how incredibly awesome these teams are and we all believe it right so we go out and make these bets that they're going to continue to win but they go on the road and what do they do they get beat because these are humans they can't have their a game every day and playing on the road is hard right you got to deal with the crowd you got to deal with the 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 elements that you're not used to playing in seattle in november and december is tough because it rains and it's cold right well the, the and it's a different kind of cold the, than the difference in some of this stuff that's why People like you are demanding this massive playoff when everybody plays. I think a lot of the, the coaches and a lot of people, they're, 
realize you're dealing with 18 and 19 and 20 year old kids. Yeah. So you you can't be playing. Look look at what happens in the NFL schedule when you play somebody like really good every week. Yeah. Even the worst team is good. Yeah. I, mean, I know. The, yeah. I mean, even the Bears, you know, they're tough to play against. <clears throat> you're probably going to beat them because they'll screw up in the fourth quarter. But and the Patriots it's not too, a cakewalk, you know. Yeah, the Patriots are good too. So what, my, my, what I'm saying is, you have a you have a 50 man, 53 man roster or something along those lines. So when people go out, you have other people that can come in. But look, in in, in college, there's only a few teams that really have that kind of depth because that's that's what they do. You're talking about Alabama, you're talking about Ohio State, Michigan. Now there's probably five or six teams that if they lose a few players, they actually have. Most teams have. Um, if you got. 60 guys on the roster or something along those lines, 80 people. There's there's 45 people there that are never going to get in a game. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just there because you got them and they didn't grow, they didn't do this, whatever. I mean, you're, you're zeroed in. Everybody says, you know, a team like, what was it, Texas Tech should never get in the playoffs again, right? Well, look what happened to those guys. The last year they had, they had a, a playoff game, which they won in their conference. So that's like a major, you know, beating your head against the wall against the best kind of game. They lose two or three of their best players get banged up. Then they win the first. Or they they won what they won the first or they didn't win the first. But all of they a sudden, lost Colorado. Yeah, and all of a sudden they, you know, they look like, like you know Scott Todd the next week, yeah. and uh and you sit there and go, well, they don't they don't have eight people to replace the people that are there. I mean, some of these teams have tough even getting their scholarships together. I mean, one of my buddies. Well, you know, my argument is that if it can be done in the lower division the FCS. It can be done in the FBS. It can, right? And I think the big schools, the big blue bloods, they don't want to be exposed. They want to be exposed for the scheduling that they do, right? Well, they, everybody they knows to, they do it. Yeah, they want to pad, but ESPN never talks about it. They want to pad their schedule every other week with somebody so they can rest their players to perpetuate this you, myth, you can't, to perpetuate their market power. Even, right? even Ohio State and in, in Alabama cannot play 12 competitive games every week. Yeah. Which well, doesn't say you can't, you you can't get play, hurt, you know, playing sidewalks. You, you don't have to play 12 competitive games. In fact, under a playoff system, teams would probably schedule a 10-game season, right? And then what are you adding on to it? You can't. You're, there's no way on earth you're going to take those two extra home games when these stadiums hold 100,000 people because you and I get to watch one more weekend of three people playing. Yeah. Why would anybody do that economically? It's horrendous. Yeah. Well, you know, but if if they can do it in the um, if they can do it in the FCS, they can do it in the FBS. But how many how many, how many games do those people and play? The, and the powers that be don't want that because they they want to maintain their power and control. They don't want disruption. They don't want market forces disrupt disrupting. You, you, this I mean, you're, you're going to you're going to tell Wisconsin that if, for them, for them to be another two weeks of playoffs, which they probably won't even get in, they're going to give up. Two home games at eighty-five thousand people. Why would they well, do that? You don't have, but they don't have to. They can they can schedule those games, right? They can. What do you mean? I mean, if you're talking if everybody is going to lose a game or two, somebody's getting the short stick. No, I mean, if if teams are sure they're not going to get the playoff, they can schedule a twelve-game season. I, you know, that, that's their that's their progress. Right? No, you, you can't. You're not, they're not going to do that because they're, they're because your playoffs going to be in the last game of the season. Then. Well, they could play in August, right? Well, what, you, what you're they talking about, the- without really saying it, you're talking about. Splitting up into essentially a thirty school or twenty five school super NCAA, which is really 
a minor leagues of football, and then the other people going yeah. back to playing well, college. I ball. think it's got to be because the money is so big. Well, I think Chip Kelly is right on the money in this, right? You could have an Under Armour league, and you have a Nike league, and it's just all football. Right? All right, where where along the line here do you lose your tax exemption? Well, I think you should have lost it already. Yeah. Well, I, I think I don't think these these uh, football programs are uh, non-profits, man. Well, I'm saying, no why, why should they lose? I mean, are, are these if if these kids are getting this kind of money? First of all, tuition should be should be taxable. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, what what are we doing here? We're not. I mean, this, I think I mean the argument was when Patrick Ewan was in college at George Wash or George Georgetown University. I think he brought in additional thirty million dollars to the school, and he's and everybody was saying, "Well, he's getting compensated with tuition, books, and room and board," which is nowhere near what his market value was back then, right? So, sure, I mean that that's compensation. In any other world, that'd be compensation, right? Trump, Trump's accountant, was getting uh, what housing in New York City, and New York State, New York City said, "No, you're breaking the law. That's compensation." So, the law needs to be equally uh, apply to everybody in my opinion so uh, depends I mean, on it, depends on which which side you're on yeah it is right but to me it's it's compensation they made the argument with Patrick Ewan that he is being compensated with tuition books food and room and board that was his compensation right it was way under market value but they were calling that compensation right but if you if you look at um, and Kevin does this every once in a while if you look at the the people that are on scholarship at say Notre Dame all right, so you've got maybe three basketball players that are worth more than seventy-five grand a year. Yeah, um, and you've got you know a third of the football team. The people at the end of the bench—that's plenty, probably. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it should be a little more. But uh, I mean, how much should it be? I mean, if you have one or two people that you know, if all of a sudden you need this big quarterback and it's just something, I guess. But then it becomes like the baseballs. Uh, you know, arbitration system. Well, I think I think the problem with it is I don't know if you remember this during this is the problem is trying to create humans creating a wage or salary system for this, right? I, I don't think a, a, a group of people, a committee of people, can come out and and man, that's that's Soviet Union, that's the Politburo, right? Ignoring prices and just saying, all right, this is going to be your compensation, right? Just blanket it, right? You can't give every player the same income, right? I remember this during the pandemic. The Pac-12 football players wanted to spread. They wanted the money that the schools were getting, the the revenue from the TV money. They wanted that spread equally amongst athletes. But if you read it very carefully, they they didn't say that the tennis players should get an equal share of all that TV money that the football players are getting. What they said is, if your sport gets X billion dollars or x million dollars that sport should spread that money equally not giving it to the university but to the players on those teams so what what does that mean tennis players are going to get an extra latte a week and football players are going to get an equal share of the tv money right so even there even those egalitarians on the football team are not egalitarians right so there's no way to there's no way to plan this right every player has a different value to the team and therefore, in my opinion, each player should have a different but there's, salary. But there's never been that they, that they negotiate with the school. But there's never been any kind of sports franchise. You keep, and I love giving you grief. You keep lobbying these economic. Uh, which, by the way, I love you for 
you keep lobbying these economic principles into sports, and they don't apply. They've well, they don't apply because I'm applying free market principles to a cartelized system, right? A cartelized well, how, do you, how, do you, how do you apply free market principles to Major League Baseball, which has a yeah. an antitrust exemption? Yeah, exactly. They, they, so they don't work. cartelized. The NFL is a, a cartel. It's a monopoly. Well, they, they each team they, has a monopoly. Yeah. In their market, and the NFL has a monopoly. Well, the NFL thinks they do and acts like they do, and they never get called on it. But baseball is the one that has the the monopoly. Yeah. Well, you know, it's de facto in the NFL too, right? Uh, the players when they're drafted. I mean, what is the draft? It's anti-free markets, right? I'm sure it is. Yeah, it's a cartel. It's a labor market cartel, and the 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 veterans do what? They they, they allow. The NFL owners to still the players' uh, worker surplus in the draft, so that they can still the owners' surplus in the free agent market, right? So there's all kinds of unfairness. I mean, if you talk about, I mean, if you want, if you want free trade and you want to uh, protect uh, Americans from monopolies and cartels, then you should not be looking to the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA as examples, because they are cartels. They are legal. Cartels. These uh, these well, the, sports teams, they should be competing against each other for players, not protected in this government created cartel. Well, it's not it's not it's not government created in football or in hockey or in basketball. They well, just... if, if 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 the Sherman Antitrust Act were invoked, these these uh, sports teams could not. Uh, collude like they do. I'm, they're they're okay, what I'm saying is they they all fall into the same. They follow in baseball's footsteps, and they shouldn't be able to. Yeah. Now, what Lou talks about all the time is that once you have a collective collective bargaining agreement, all the stuff you and I are talking about is out the window. But yeah. I say, Lou, when you're when you're when you're negotiating against a, a monopoly, you're starting from a bad spot. I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, you, you're right. The, the the football players have a have a contract, but. On day one, they weren't exactly on the same on the same page, were they? Yeah. So I mean, well, I think if young if young people in college really understood the economics of the model they're graduating into, I think it'd be a lot different. But they don't. I mean, but nobody. I think they would. Let's say that you and I are theoreticians on this, and we think the world would be better if things were different. But the average, you know, guy sitting there with his you know his wife beat her shirt on drinking a beer. What are you talking about? They make a bunch of dough. They make more than me. What's the problem? <laughs> and, I, and I get and I get the and I get the bet on them. This is this. Is I got friends. It. I got friends that wear those. Yeah, and, and that say those kinds of things. That's what they're saying. Hey, what are we talking about? The, yeah. Well, why feel sorry for him? He's making five million bucks this year. What do you, do you make five million? Yeah. Well, the fact that it should maybe be ten. You and I, I guess, care about economically. On an individual level, yeah, you should love. You ought to be able to live on five, right? Yeah. Well, here's the problem with it. A guy like Danny Ainge. Uh, I don't know if you remember, he could play golf. He could play baseball. He played third base for the Toronto Blue Jays. He, could, he played quarterback, and he is an incredible basketball player, right? A lot of those the guys The guy had are. options, right? And he, he exploited those options. Yeah, but he had, he had options with four different cartels. Yeah, exactly, right? So he could play one off the other. And he he wasn't going to go to the – he wanted to go to the NBA. He wanted to play basketball. But he didn't want to be drafted by, you know, the Kansas City – whatever, Kansas City whatever it was back then. They used to be a KC Omaha Kings remember? Kansas City Kings guy. He yeah. didn't want to be drafted by the Kansas City Kings. And so he played baseball until he got this opportunity to play for the Celtics, right? And John Elway did the same thing. John Elway could play baseball or he could play football, right? And he, he didn't want to go play for the Colts. He wanted to play for a 
a team in the in playoff contention, right? Yeah, but he had, he, he had already he had already cast his lot for football. Yeah, but here, here's the here's the here's the rub right here. You got Caleb Williams. My brother Ryan doesn't think of him, you know, think much of him. But yeah, Caleb Williams, arguably the, uh, a really good quarterback next Mahomes. And who, you know, the draft is going to determine where this guy's career is going to be a bust or a success. If he gets drafted by San Francisco, he'll probably have an incredible career. But if he gets drafted by, I don't know, Carolina, look at Sam Darnold. He was drafted by the Jets. Sam Darnold is a really good quarterback, but he got drafted by the Jets. And he gets floated around to these really bad teams, and he's never allowed to flourish, right? So if a guy like Kayla Williams ends up at, like, Carolina or some other team that's not very good or hasn't been very good, uh, his whole career is flushed. And that's the problem with this whole system, right? He should be able to negotiate. Well, some of those guys pretty- manage to turn the bus around real yeah. fast, but and some don't. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, the perfect example was uh, Archie Manning, for God's sake. He'd be languished on the Saints, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, before yeah. we, uh, we got a few minutes, what what do you make of what the Fed's doing? Where they come out and save a bunch of stuff, change the huge pivot, and all of a sudden the other guys are trying to back it off. The guys are going out. I mean, it seems like a well, keystone cop. I think what he did is he's you know he's just doing what they probably do in most election years, right? I, you know, I, I think you're going to see a big shift in the trillions and trillions, hundreds of trillions of dollars of money that these investment banks have. They're going to kind of shift it, I think, into equities because I think the Fed is indicating that they're going to reinflate and you know you got bears uh perma bears saying hey it's time to get into equities and I, the, the reason why they're saying that is because the fed is signaling that they're not going to raise rates anymore they're probably looking to lower rates and reinflate the economy so you, you see this i think you're going to see that with them too i think you're seeing it with housing prices i think you're going to see a reinflation and you don't want to fight the fed right that's what they always no, say you can't. Don't fight I mean, the fed. all right so what uh Someday, somewhere, maybe there would be a collision, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that uh, based on what they've been saying the last six weeks, I managed to get my people finally a little longer than we normally are, and uh, and when it's been working out fine the last couple of weeks. Um, my question is, I just have a I sit there and go, okay, I see what the Fed's doing. I want to get along. Then I look at. You know, Adobe, Costco, and I actually look at the PE ratios and they go, yeah. Jesus, they're pretty freaking high. And <clears throat> do I really think they could they go to 60, 70, 80? Well, with inflation, they yeah, can. Yeah. But if they reinflate, they can. Yeah. And I just, so you sit there and go, but the, but there's always a collision. There's always something. Something happens where somebody goes, what is that stock trading there? I mean, it, it's happened before in my lifetime a couple of times. And so this all points to the fact that the Fed should not be doing this. The Fed, at best, the Fed should just be saying, hey, we're going to grow the M2 at population growth. That's it. That's all the Fed should do. Yeah, but right now... The Fed should not have this kind of power. But, here's but my, they're going to reinflate. All right, so right now, here's my here's my issue with that, or one of them. I agree with you, but you've, you've, you've blown the thing up so much in the last three years. I know. Can you just, can you just stop here? I mean, Paul said yeah. something about the... Uh, well, you know, the, it's not helping the price level, which is too high for most people. And he just went on to say something else. Yeah, that, that's a big problem. So we're, we're never going to address that? Evidently not. Yeah. Plus, I'm well, not so sure how you do you it. Gotta, you, gotta, you have to start somewhere, and we have to change the Fed's uh, purpose and mandate. It, it's got to just grow the M2 and ignore everything else. But what is it going to do? 
it's going to reinflate. It's telling us it's going to reinflate, right? Right. So and so investors are getting ready to shift, and they don't want to fight the Fed. So the Fed's going to be easy. They're going to be in markets, right? They're going to be in the stock markets. Without a doubt, we got to be buying everything we can, pretty much, until something un- untoward happens. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's like you know, it's like tulips. They were going up all the time, and all of a sudden, one day they didn't. Yeah. But I, I don't, I, you know, I don't see massive amounts of margin loans. I don't see that kind of stuff that normally pre, you know, shows you that something's going to happen. But I also know somebody's prices well, are kind of high. I think it's harder to buy a margin when the Fed has uh, interest rates that. You know, five percent, right? So I think I think the margin debt will grow. Oh, pe- people don't care if they, if they think it's the they think a stock's going to be up five percent this week. They don't care if the margin debt's six percent or five. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of that business. We don't really have people who you know buy hundred thousand dollars worth of stock and send us a check for fifty. We've never had that business. I mean, we have some people on margin, but yeah. that's well, just not the, us. I think the margin the margin debt's going to lag with with interest rates, right? So it's going to lag. You you won't see that, but. I think the Fed is signaling that they're going to reinflate during the during the election year, and uh, I think for eighty percent of Americans, if they do that, life's going to get worse. Yeah, but the, for the people on the top, the top twenty percent, life's going to get good because you don't fight the Fed. You're going to put all your money in the stock market or a lot of it, right? You're going to ride the Fed. You still, if you have stocks, you just sit there and watch them go up. Yeah, because that's what inflation does, right? Yeah. Inflation causes these asset bubbles. Were you uh, Were you doing Christmas? You guys home? Or are you? Are, uh, we're home. I just got back from North Carolina, and I had migraines for three days. Uh, oh, good. But we're, I'm here for the Christmas break, and we got some presents, and we got a small tree, and we're gonna have a, we're gonna probably go bowling at the Army base. Fort really? Fort Hamilton, Fort Hamilton Army base. Yeah. Cool. Uh, did you say your wife was running for office? No, I think she. I think if she did run for office, she would probably want some libertarian solutions to public education. So I don't. I don't know if she'd get too much. Uh, Support amongst Democrats in, in New York City, but I, I can see her running for office. Honestly, what's the what, what would she run for if she ran? Well, I think she would run for uh, choice in public schools where money. No, I mean, what what, the kids. what what position? Oh, I think she'd probably run for um, maybe initially, maybe a council position, uh, maybe a representative. But um, yeah. New York is eighty percent. New York City is eighty percent Democrat, twenty percent Republican. So, I, I don't think her her policy prescriptions would get her out of the primary. Uh, maybe not. Plus, you, do you have enough money for a ten million dollar primary campaign? No, we don't got. Any, we'd have to. We'd have to uh, uh, ask yeah. people to donate. You have to, you have to get a margin loan. <laughs> margin God. Anyway, all right. Take care of yourself, bud. Good stuff as usual. Docs and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.